Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. We're continuing our series entitled Rediscover Christmas, and today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to rediscover the mystery. Rediscover the mystery of Christmas. The dictionary defines mystery as something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. Uh, In a recent article in a Psychology Today magazine, there was an article entitled, A Sense of Mystery May Be the Spice of Life. Mystery may be the spice of life. The, the article goes on to say that it seems to light up the brain in a unique way. It's hard to describe the emotion, but it's clear that people really enjoy the idea of mystery. Uh, some say that actually a lack of mystery might be the cause of many human ills, such as depression. For example, depression might be defined as a loss of the sense of mystery. Someone who's depressed might feel flat and one-dimensional. They, they lose their curiosity for self and for others and for activities outside their, uh, the, the room that they're probably feeling trapped in. They're not really thinking of mystery anymore. Uh, and so uh, noted psychologist William James was noted for suffering from profound de- depression. He said the only thing that kept him alive was just the mystery of what's going to happen tomorrow. Is it possible that a sense of mystery is that which causes the discouragement and depression for many of us? Uh, we really need, and in order to, to desire to live and to prosper and to enjoy life, perhaps mystery is, as the article claims, the spice of life. Do you know this mystery that we speak of this Christmas? Do you remember when you were a child and like as Christmas was approaching, everything about it was mysterious and you were just so overwhelmed. And do you remember what it was like when life was more about questions than it was answered? Like every day there was something else mysterious you were trying to learn about life. And then somewhere along the way we become adults and we feel like, well, you know, either we've got all of our questions answered or we've just decided to stop asking those questions. We've given up on the idea of mystery. You know, one of the things that's at the heart of, of scientific discovery is the idea that somehow the universe is understandable, that somehow we should be able to follow in the footsteps of, of the, the de- designer of the universe, the designer of life, and to somehow learn about it and understand it. And so there are all kinds of mysteries. Many of them have to do with origins. You might say, well, okay, what's the mystery? You know, what's the, what's the origin of the universe? What's the origin of life? Or what's the origin of intelligence? How, how do we have knowledge and how do we have minds that conceive of such things as love and beauty and morality and these things? And so there are many mysteries in life. Now you might be thinking, okay, Gary, but what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, did you know that the whole idea of the Christmas story is a revelation of the greatest mysteries of all? As we look at the Gospel of John today, chapter 1, we'll see that John says that Jesus Christ is the greatest mystery revealed of all time, of all humanity's history. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see three mysteries that can be revealed only in the person of Christ Jesus. So let's look at the text, chapter 1 of the book of John, 
And you'll take note that the key verse in this, in this passage is verse 14, which says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's read uh, this passage and then we'll talk about it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all who might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is God's Word. We're looking at how we might rediscover the mystery of Christmas by considering three mysteries. Here's the first mystery, the mystery of Christ as Lagos. The mystery of Christ as Lagos. If you'll look in the first few verses, you'll notice the word, word. It's there four times in the text today. And it's, if you'll take note, it's capitalized because it's a proper noun. It's a name. It's a title. It refers to Christ Jesus as he finally reveals in his prologue, as John finally reveals uh, to us. We have to get all the way to verse 17 before he finally names who this is after giving so many wonderful hints at this mystery. The word logos is the word in the Greek that's translated word. It's a word that in uh, the first century among the Greeks was filled with a meaning that the, the Greek philosophers pointed to as something as the logic, if you will, the logos, the logic, the reason, the explanation for all things uh, concerning the origin of life and of the universe. And so for the Greek philosophers, the word logos was filled with this meaning as an uh, impersonal principle of existence, of epistemology. And then for uh, the Jews that were living during this first century time, uh, Jews like the philosopher Philo, who wrote about this, for him it was not an impersonal principle. Logos was God. It, it was personal. It, it had to do with the divine, the creator. And then John takes up this word as the last living disciple, as the last living disciple towards the end of the first century, he writes his gospel and he begins it by describing Jesus as the Lagos. And for him, 
The Lagos is not impersonal, nor is it just personal. It's a person. It's the person, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. This is the Word made flesh. The Lagos made flesh. Notice how he begins his book. It's a familiar beginning, the three words, in the beginning. What does this remind us of? It reminds us of the very first words in the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. John hearkens us back to that to, to let us know and to remind us that this Christ who came as a child, came as a baby, became a man, grew up and took on human flesh, that he had always been. He didn't begin 2,000 years ago when he took on humanity. No, he is God of very God. He has always existed. He's the eternal one, the timeless one. He was present in the beginning. He was not only present, he is with God. And it says, and the Word was God. So he's both God of very God, but he's also hinting at, John is hinting at the Trinity here, that he is God, but he's also the second person, the Son of God. As he reveals later in this same chapter, as he points to him as the only begotten Son. He is with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning, it says, verse 2. And then he's not finished. He's the eternal one. He's the divine one. He's the second member of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then knowing that in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says he's the creator. He says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so he is the, he is the means through which... God created the universe, created everything. You, you might just hearken back to Genesis chapter 1 again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit hovered over the deep, and God said, let there be light. Here we already see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's the Word that said, let there be light. Even the Hebrew name for God that's revealed in chapter 1 is Elohim, which is in the Hebrew plural. We see it, that Christ, there never was a time when Christ was not. He is the pre-existent eternal one, but he took on human flesh. And all things were made by him, through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We call ourselves sometimes if we write a poem or if we build a house or build some work of art we say we are creators but really what we are is innovators because nothing has been created that he didn't create what we do is just take what he created and stack it up different we we can't create jesus was able to create you remember the first miracle that john records in his gospel mary comes to him and said hey look son this is a wedding and and the people ran it the the people ran out of wine and he takes water and he turns it into wine we still can't do that to this day because that's a creative activity he's a creator god he's christ the lord he nothing has been made that he didn't make he's the creator we're talking about christmas here people we're talking about the mystery recaptured He's God of very God. He's the creator. And then we go down into verse 14. It says, the word became flesh. He already existed. The Lagos became flesh. This is not about subtraction, but addition. 
This is the mystery of that he did not let go of divinity, but he added humanity. He added the frailty of humanity so that he was hungry, he was thirsty, he got tired, he needed rest, he wept. He added the frailty, but not the fallen state of humanity. He was tempted as we, yet without sin. This is who Jesus is. He is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. Not by subtraction, but by addition. The Word became flesh. He took on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. That's who He is. And so He became this. And He dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the word that we, we could have said, he pitched his tent among us. It's a very colorful Greek word here. He tabernacled like Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness who would set up their tabernacle, their tent of meeting. Jesus camped out with us. He, he put on the tent of humanity and lived with us. He became one of us. This is the beauty of this, that, that he came in this way, the, the logos. The reason for existence. And then John, the John we're speaking of, now John wrote the book, but the John we're speaking of in these 18 verses is not John the disciple, the beloved. This is John the Baptist he's talking about here. And so when we see in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness. And then we see later, he refers to John again, and in the ESV it puts it in parentheses, verse 15. John bore witness about him, about Jesus, and he cried out. And this is one of the most difficult, it's kind of hard to read and kind of, you, you got to think about it for a second. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So, so John sounds like, what did you say, John? Like, that's some kind of paradox going on here. He who was after me ranks higher than me because he was before me. Like, make up your mind, John, which is it? Is he after you or before you? He's saying both. It's both. Remember what, what the angel told Mary when he came to her and said, you're going to be with child and you're going to bear the Son of God? And, and she goes, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. He goes, nothing is impossible with God. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and you'll conceive and bear a son. He's the Son of God, and you're to call him Jesus. And he, here's the sign so that you'll know. Your, your, your barren, older relative who's never been able to have kids, Elizabeth, she hasn't put it on Facebook yet, but she's six months pregnant. You know, it's not Facebook, you know, authenticated yet. But it's there. And so she, so what does Mary do? As soon as the angel leaves, she gets up the next morning and she heads to Elizabeth's house, right? Because she needs to get that sign confirmed. And she goes, and we know the story as she approaches Elizabeth, the baby, John the Baptist, within the womb of Elizabeth, leaps for joy. And, and Elizabeth, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I'm not worthy. Why is it that the, the, the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? So we have this beautiful story. So this is John the Baptist, the, the relative of Jesus. He's six months older. That's how we get the six months is from that story than Jesus. And so John says, he came after me, but yet he surpasses me because he was actually before me. That's what he's talking about. He came and he took on flesh. He always existed. He came after him in, in birth, 
but he preceded him in life. This is what John's talking about in verse 15. We're talking about the word made flesh. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, we read this, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. Ex nihilo, the Latin says, out of nothing he spoke all things into existence. Christ is not only active in creation, he's also active in sustaining everything. And notice what the, the author of Hebrews writes. He says, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. I wonder what keeps the universe from flying apart. Well, we don't have to wonder. The mystery here is revealed. He not only created everything, he sustains it as well by the mighty power of his word, of his command. Many people ask, why is the universe um, the way it is? Why is it the way it is instead of some other way? But there was a, a German mathematician and philosopher. He's credited with being one of the originators of calculus and also of this question. His name was Gottfried Leibniz. And he asked this question, not so much where did it came, come from, but why is there something rather than nothing? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Why is there something rather than nothing? Because as a philosopher and a mathematician, he said it would have been simpler for there to have been nothing. But there isn't nothing, there's something. Why is that? And he came to the conclusion, the simple explanation is, because God made something out of nothing. When did we lose that sense of wonder? When did it happen? When did we get so grown up that we lost the childlike wonder and mystery of all of life? God is the eternal one. He sent his son, the eternal one, to come and take on human flesh. Oh, what wonder, what mystery to look into this. You want to rediscover the mystery? Look to Jesus. He is the logos, the reason there's something rather than nothing. Here's the second mystery that we might consider to regain, rediscover this mystery of Christmas. The mystery of Christ as life. Mystery of Christ as life. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. He's the source of life. The Greek word here is Zoe. One of the candidates that we baptized this morning, a little young lady, her name was Zoe. I commended the parents for such a wonderful name. The word Zoe is used in, in the Greek New Testament, the New Testament, to describe eternal life, abundant life, full and overflowing life. There's really two Greek words that they could have chosen the other one, bios. It's where we get the word biology, the study of life. But here, the word Zoe is in view. In him was Zoe life, abundant life, full and overflowing. And we go on to keep reading that, that as we look through here, we begin to see words like full Fullness, like verse 16, fullness, that he's full of grace and truth, verse 14. What, what John's attempting to tell us here is there would be no life apart from him. That 
all life emanates from him. He is the source of life. He's full of life, not because he's getting life from somewhere else, but because in him is life. He is life. As John writes in his first epistle, that unless we know Christ, in him we have life. Apart from him, we do not have life. And then he talks about grace. I was thinking, as I, as I look back down into the verse 12 and following, we see, that, we see that the world rejected him. They didn't receive him. Even his own people, verse 11, didn't receive him. But to all who did, all who receive him, receive his life, and believe in him, he changes our lives and gives us the right to become children of God. In other words, we're born again. And this happens by grace. Verse 14 says, This word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. He's full of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, he offers this life to us by giving his life to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so He offers His Zoe life, His eternal life, and He dies our death, which our sins call for. He dies our death and offers His life. This is grace. This is the, the free gift of life. He goes on in verse 16. It says, For from His fullness, in other words, this overflowing life, We've received grace upon grace. Something like it's poured out in us and then it overflows and it just keeps coming. Grace upon grace upon grace. Life, life. He's the source of life. It all comes through Jesus from the overflow of life. Look what he says in John chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking to the crowd not long after he had fed the 5,000, miraculously taking just a little bit of bread and a few fishes from this little boy and multiplying them and feeding the 5,000 men and perhaps including women and children as many as 20,000 people being fed. He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Eternal life. That's the word Zoe right there. And I will raise Him up on the last day. For the Jew, bread was symbolic of life. It was a symbol of life. And Jesus says, I, literally it's I, I am which is the name of God, I, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven that you might believe and receive me and receive this Zoe life, this full life, full and overflowing. I'm the source of life. It answers the question, what's the source of life? Where did life come from? You see, it's a separate question. Where did the universe come from? Where did the material world come from? The inanimate world, the, the, the stars and the moon and the planets and the universe, that's a question of the material world. But where did the living world come from? Where did life originate? And the scripture says, in Him 
was life. He's the answer to the question about the origin of life. I don't know what the answer to that question was in your biology books and when you went to high school and college. When I was going to high school and college, they still contained an experiment from two scientists. And this experiment was referred to as the Miller-Urey experiment. It took place in 1952. Darwinists had postulated that the conditions on planet Earth during that time were not like they are now, but that the atmosphere was filled with ammonia and methane and hydrogen, and perhaps a lightning bolt struck the primordial soup of that early environment, that pre-living environment, and out of that electrical strike, Accidentally, these amino acids, the building blocks of life, took place in a chemical conversion, and the animate arose accidentally out of the inanimate. This is what the, the experiment was about. And so what Miller-Urey did in 1952 is they took methane, ammonia, and hydrogen, and they put it in a glass flask, and they ran electricity through it, and as they did, they noticed a stain appearing on the bottom of the glass, and they evaluated it and discovered that it contained amino acids, the basic chemical building blocks of life, not life itself, but, but the possibility of life. And when they reported this, it made front page news, it made all the magazines, and it made all of the biology books, except for some years later, Scientists noticed a critical detail was overlooked, namely the glass flask. The thought that glass was inert, but in fact contains silica, which contains amino acids from life, that when this acidic, this um, alkaline condition was given and heat and electricity applied, it, re it caused amino acids to come out of the glass. And so the, the whole experiment was fallacious. It wasn't true. And so that part was failed to be mentioned for decades. Now, it's no longer in books. If it is, you've got an old book because Darwinists have run from that experiment as an example failed. But yet we still, we still, now I'm not a scientist. I read all of what I just described to you from Scientific American Magazine called, the title of this was A Critical Detail Overlooked, namely a glass flask. Why am I talking about this? Because scientists still have the desire to uncover these mysteries. But as we look at Christmas, dear Christian, as we look at Christmas, let's be reminded that the greatest questions in the universe are revealed to us in Jesus the Christ, that He is the source of life. So the mystery of the origin of life remains unless you look to Jesus. Will you look to Jesus? In Him is life. You want life? Look to Jesus. Now here's the third mystery. We talked about Jesus as the logos, the life. Finally, the mystery of Christ as light. Now the word light in the Greek is phos. It's where we get the word phosphorus. It's where we get the word photo. Phos, light. But he's not really talking so much about light itself because, by the way, light's a mysterious thing anyway. Light, well, light, it's, 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 just think about it. It's something that when you're a kid, you're like, 
hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, what is light? What is, why is the sky blue? Why is the ocean, what, you know, these kinds of questions, what is light? But that's not so much what we're talking about here. We're talking about light as a metaphor because light here has to do with revelation. It has to do with what the result of light is. Light enables us to see. See what? Well, remember how it says he's full of grace? He's, he has he's the fullness of life and grace. It also says he's full of what? Truth. And so light has to do with being able to see the truth, to be able to see that thing revealed. And so here we see light as a metaphor for truth and knowledge. And maybe even this, maybe even this, as the source of mind, as the, as the source of intelligence. Because we could also say, okay, what's the source of the material universe? That's, a, that's an origins question. What's the source of life? What's the origin of life? Why do we have a, why do we think? Why are we able to walk in the footsteps of God and, and, and have these five senses, but also come up with conclusions about things and learn things? Is it possible that this intelligence arose from non-intelligence? Or is it more possible that an intelligent God made us in His image so that we could follow in His footsteps and know things and, and have a mind and have a source of morality and have these, these, these values that are not scientific at all. They really go against a lot of, of, of the idea of survival of the fittest, this idea of love that would cause you to lay down your life for someone, this idea of beauty, this idea of morality, these things that we don't have time to unpack them all, but what if Christ Jesus is the source of knowing, the source of thinking, the source of light? Truth came from Him. We go on to see. We read about this, and then ultimately... We see this in verse 17 and following. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Moses gave us the law which told us we were in darkness. It told us here's the standard. And really all the law accomplishes is it convinces us that we're lost without a Savior. Because no one can keep it except one. And that was Christ the Lord. But through Jesus, for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth, they came through Jesus Christ. They came through Jesus Christ. This truth is not a philosophy. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And then he gives an example. He goes, no one has ever seen God. Moses caught a glimpse of his glory. He said, remember, Moses said, God, let me see your glory. And, and God said, get in that cleft of that rock, and I will pass by, and I will let you see some of my glory. And it was so amazing that it caused him to have to wear uh, a covering over his face because people would become fearful to see the glory that was reflected on Moses' face because he just caught a glimpse of God. Rock of ages, cleft for me. <laughs> right there. He got to see that. And then Isaiah was caught up in a vision in Isaiah chapter 6 and he saw the train of God's glory and he saw the angels but no one had ever seen God, not really. But if you want to see God, John declares, look at Jesus. He's the only God, the only begotten Son of God who came from the Father's side, from His bosom. He has made Him known. 
He's the final word. He's the last word on God. You want to know what God, you know what, you want to know how he talks? Read the Gospels. He talks like Jesus. You want to know how he thinks? Read how he thinks in the Gospels. That's how he thinks. You want to know his character? Look at Jesus. He's the fullest revelation of God. You want, you want to know God? Know Jesus. He's the light. He has made him known. As the, the author Paul writes in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. This is, what John, this is what John reports later in his gospel, John chapter 8, Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to know the truth? It's a person. It's, it's Jesus. That's his name. The truth has a name. It's Jesus. He's the light. And this is what he declares later in John. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Let's rediscover the mystery of Christmas. We've made it so small by enlarging it with so many things that have nothing to do with these wonderful mysteries. Let us rediscover the mystery of Christmas as we contemplate and meditate upon the person of Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. He's the Word become flesh. C.S. Lewis declared in his Christmas poem a similar thought. Light looked down and beheld darkness. Thither will I go, said light. Life looked down and beheld death. Thither will I go, said life. Love looked down and beheld despair. Thither will I go, said love. So came light and shone truth. So came life and conquered death. So came love and gave hope. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. He is the gift that You've given us. He is the Word made flesh. And so, Lord, I pray for that person today that has never received Him. Many have rejected Him. The world has not seen this light. But maybe this morning you have. Maybe you're watching online and you're, you're contemplating following this Jesus. Maybe you're here in person in this room or in the room next door. It doesn't matter where you are because He is God. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's right there with you. Would you pray to receive him right now? For as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Would you believe in him right now? Right in your seat, would you declare, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you were raised from the grave and that you live today. I believe that. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a child of God. I receive you and believe in you now as my Lord and Savior. If you're praying that prayer believing, He will change you and cause you to be born again and become a child of God. He gives you a new identity and a new reason for living. 
Others are here today and you're a Christ follower, you're a believer in Jesus, but you've allowed anxiety or discouragement or even depression to cloud these days that you've been living lately. Would you recapture the mystery now? Look to Jesus. Meditate on Him. Look to Him. Look to His face. Look to the revelation of Christ. And, and reconsider all that He is and what He invites us to. Oh Lord Jesus, reveal to us the mystery of Your love for us. And reignite within us the joy of our salvation. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen.